So, Father, we just uh, uh, come before you tonight and just thank you. Thank you for the worship, uh, the blessing that we, we encounter um, in worship, Lord. That it is a place where we can um, be in your presence. That um, it's not just singing words, but it's, it's adoration to you and to who you are and what you've done for us. You are amazing, God, and just this study, Lord, just is just eye-opening to just how amazing, uh, God, that you are, that, that Jesus, that you came and dwelt amongst us uh, to live with us and to, um, to see us for who we are in our, fa- our frailty, Lord, and that you, Jesus, had such compassion upon your people. So, Father, I pray that tonight uh, um, your word would be accomplished, your will would be accomplished. I pray that I would just be here um, as, a, as your mouthpiece and, and that you would bless the words that uh, come forth. So, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, so, um, as uh, Pastor Russell mentioned, signs and wonders. So, how many of you like signs and wonders? Okay, everybody does. That's good. We'll, we'll get into that more a little bit later. <laughs> so, um, uh, this is all found in the Gospel of John. So if you haven't found your way there, that's where we're going to be in the Gospel of John. And, and uh, like Pastor Russell said, uh, that John had a different, um, a different perspective than the other Gospel writers. And I want to just go ahead and start with John 20.30. So we're going to um, look at John 20.30 right now. And this is what um, John says about, um, uh, just a, what he says about this Gospel that he's writing right here. Um, And he says that Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, in this letter, in this gospel, right? You could probably, you can find them in the other gospels. Um, But John says that, that there's other, many other miraculous signs that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. But the ones that are written in John's gospels, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. So that's what John's purpose is. So as we're going through this series today and the weeks to follow, just keep that in mind that, that John recorded these so that you, that's you and I, uh, may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So one, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that in believing, that we would have life. And what kind of life is that? Yes, eternal life, right? Abundant life. So that's what, um, what, when we go through these, just keep that in the back of your mind, that that is John's purpose for this letter. So um, we're going to be uh, learning about um, Jesus turning water into wine, right? Um, I'm not going to spend really any time as far as um, the notion of wine and alcohol. Um, I did a little bit of study. I didn't do it in depth. But the Bible does, or what I found is that there is unfermented wine and fermented wine. And the Bible doesn't use, as far as the word wine um, itself, it doesn't differentiate that. But if you look into the Greek, there are different, uh, different words for that. Um, so there are times where the Bible speaks that, no, you know, don't, do not be drunk with, you know, a hard drink and be sober in mind. And then there's other times that it talks about, like to Timothy, you know, go ahead and take some wine for your ailment. So um, there's a study that can be done on that, but that's not the purpose tonight. Um, really, you know, in this study, God showed me some things that I really want to share with you, and I'm, I'm really actually pretty excited to do that. So um, first of all, this, is, this takes place at a wedding. Um, and I don't think it's, there, there's no coincidences with God, right? right? 
You know, I think, you know, I hear that from time to time. I used to think, oh, wow, what a coincidence. But as you read more and more of the scripture, you just, you just find that everything is tied together. And it makes so much, I mean, it's written, uh, right, by 40 different authors, but really by one, uh, by one, one author, the Holy Spirit. It's God-inspired. So the, everything ties together. Of course, it's not a coincidence. Um, so this uh, first sign took, takes place at a wedding. And so with Jewish weddings, what you got to know, they're not like our weddings. You know, we, our weddings, you know, they, we have a night, we have the wedding ceremony, and then we have the night, and then we go off to the honeymoon, right? Jewish weddings are not like that. I didn't do an in-depth study of Jewish weddings, but um, most Jewish weddings, they say they last up to seven days. Yeah. So the ceremony uh, is actually not that lengthy, but um, it's, it's, a fest, it's a festival, right? It's a feast. So it's a party. So with these um, festivals, you, in, you invite your family and your friends, right? And, and not only just the wedding, but the betrothal process, what we would call our engagement in the Jewish culture, is just so much more meaningful. It, it, you could actually sue somebody back then if there wasn't a broken engagement, a broken betrothal. Um, so the importance of a Jewish wedding um, it should not be lost on what we're looking at right here, and that Jesus performs his, his first sign here. Um, so Jewish weddings last about seven, seven days, um, and there was a big um, you know, emphasis to, you know, to, be, to, bring, to provide hosp, hosp, hospitality to uh, your guest, right? So if you're the host... You need to provide for the guests because it's a, it's a festival that's been a year wait in waiting. It's going to be seven days, right? And so you need to provide everything. And if you don't provide everything, there is a dishonoring that happens and, and, and a shame that befalls the family who's hosting the wedding. Um, so with that in mind, let's go ahead and um, start in John chapter 2, verse 1. So uh, verse 1 says, On the third day a wedding took place in Cana and Galilee. So notice it says the third day. This, I assume, is the third day of that wedding, uh, the wedding festivities. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. So this is a bad day for the host and the hostess, the people that are throwing the party, that are giving the wedding. Now, the fact that Mary um, no, notices it and says something to Jesus, um, what I looked at and studied is that most likely Mary would, it was either a relative of whoever was getting married, um, or she was very a close friend, and that Jesus, her son, uh, was invited. It also basically um, implies that, that that was the case. So Mary understands that this is a great shame that can befall the family because they have no more wine. They have nothing to attend their guests. And this isn't like today, right? You, there's, you don't just go into the car. You don't just run down to Stater Brothers or wherever you shop and, and get more wine. You, you, can't call, you, know, you can't call an Uber or one of those other door dashes or something like that, right? This, this wasn't an easy thing. And I, I would just imagine that you probably would have to have the wine made, which isn't an easy process, right? So this first miracle that Jesus does, turning water into wine, it is a creative miracle, right? It shows his power over nature. 
And, and it also shows his power over time. Because to make wine, you, ha you have to you know, put the, the grapes in the wine press, and it's a process. And so um, I, just, I want to go look at Mary's perspective. So does Mary ask Jesus to make more wine? No, she doesn't, right? She just goes and tells Jesus that there's no more wine. Um, and like, uh, like, uh, like any, um, all my men in here, like all you men, we come, right? When our women say something, we know exactly what they're saying, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so Jesus knew exactly what she was saying. She knew that, you know, okay, uh, she, he was looking to, her, she, he, she was looking to him to do something about it. Now, how did Jesus respond? And he responds uh, in verse 4 and says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? You know, this is not my time. He says, my time has not yet come. But still, Mary says to, to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So Jesus is, is telling his mom, right? Mary is his mom. And women was, woman, that's not a, um, a dishonoring term in that time. Um, but he's saying, it's not my time yet. My hour has not come. My hour has not come, uh, and when we speak about the hour to come, that's when Jesus is dying for us on the cross. But Mary still um, has hope, right? And, you, and, you, and I was just, I just thought of Mary's perspective, right? Mary was promised, I mean, this is not the, you know, Mary has already seen the miraculous, right? She's been a part of the miraculous. She's been an, a, a very instrument. Right? And the angel, the angel came right, and spoke to her. And, and the angel told her that, you know, the one that's in you, he's going to be the most high. Right? And so she, all these years, I'm sure she was just, just waiting, anticipating for, for Jesus to, to start, you know, really walking in what this meant. And I'm sure just as a mother, just, you know, just ecstatic and just hopeful and just, just waiting for the promises. So when I see that she, you know, she hears what he has to say, but still she has faith. She believes that he's going to do something. And so she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you, which is good advice, right? You know, um, and sometimes we try to give too much advice. You know, I know I give too much advice sometimes to my kids. And, you know, sometimes I just got to say, you know, daughter, son, you know, spend some time talking to Jesus and do whatever he tells you. You know, um, there's been times where I probably made the wrong or said the wrong thing. And it's like, you know what? I, I think I advised them the wrong way here. Um, and, and so just reading that just makes me, for myself, uh, just um, thinking about my kids. You know, what can I do to, you know, back away and let, you know, Jesus really drive their life? And, and that's just one of those things, which I strive to do better at. Um, so let's go ahead and continue. So I have notes and the Bibles, so I've got to jump back and forth. All right, so let's go ahead and continue in our verse. Okay, so in verse 6, now here comes the miracle. So I think I want to say that Jesus, I think, responds because he has compassion. I think in a lot of what we're going to read, that if we look hard enough, we're going to see that Jesus is responding because of compassion. Um, and of course, because it's the, Father, the Father tells him to do this. He did not do anything that was not the Father's will. 
And there was a, there was, there was a, um, a point where it glorifies him, and it shows that he is God. But he, as God, the fact that he, that he sent his son, that the Father sent his son to die for us, and Jesus willingly went to the cross for us, is because of love, because of compassion. And so I think Jesus knows that, you know, they're out of wine, and this is a bad day for the family, right? They're gonna, there's going to be a sense of shame, right? They're going to they're gonna feel like failures. And how many of us, when we get, do something wrong, feel shame and feel like a failure and that we're not good enough, right? And we're going to be talked about. And we're going to be lesser in the community, lesser to, uh, to other people in our relationship, you know, for our wives or kids. But I think Jesus, Jesus has compassion upon them. And so he performs this miracle. And so what does he do in verse 6? Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Okay, so these are six ceremonial jars, right, that are off to the side, and they each hold 20 to 30 gallons. Okay, so six times 20, six times 30. You can do the math. It's 120 to 180 gallons of, uh, is what they can hold. Um, and so Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Let's go ahead and keep reading and we'll discuss. So in verse, uh, to continue in verse 8, Then Jesus told the servants, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, although the servants, they knew, right? They knew because they drew the water out. So what they drew was water, and now the master is about to drink it. And so when he drank, he drank it, he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, the best wine. They bring out the best wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. So a couple of things I want to point out. Do you think that they served wine in, 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 out of ceremonial stone jars as a habit? No, no. There's no coincidence that, there was, that Jesus picked the ceremonial water, uh, the jars to perform this miracle. Um, and what are the jars used for? Um, some of you may know, if you've, uh, as Bible students, that, that there were... Um, certain purification things, the ceremonial things that they had to do before they could eat, right? They had to wash their hands. They had to, they had to, well, basically, what are they doing? They're cleansing themselves, right? So they had to cleanse themselves before they could partake in certain meals and, and certain things. So um, I don't think that that would be a natural thing to just use the ceremonial jars to serve anything. Even if, if you know, okay, here's some more wine, just throw it in the jars, um, I think it's significant that Jesus um, used those ceremonial water jars. And Jesus is our priest. You know, he's our king, but he is also our priest in the line of Melchizedek, right? And so I see a connection between these jars that were used by the priest uh, and the people and that Jesus is our high priest. So he fills them up with water. And what does water symbolize? Water has... 
Go ahead. Cleansing. Cleansing. Water has different um, uh, symbols in the Bible. Um, one of those is cleansing. Um, we see that with the flood, right? Cleansing the earth. But we also see that water is, is the word of God, right? So Jesus spoke in John 15, 3. And in John 15, 3, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he tells them, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So he cleansed them because of the word that he spoke. Okay, so there's a cleansing that happens from the word of God. Um, Ephesians 5.25, if you could put that up. I think this is a very strong verse. I think it's very strong because of the fact that this takes place at a wedding um, and because of, this, of the scripture it says. So Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So what did Christ do? Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for the church. That's us. Okay? We are the church. Okay? The people. And, and what did he do? He cleansed us by the washing with water through the word. And in doing so, he presented uh, uh, to himself us, a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, that we would be holy and blameless. John, John opens up by saying, in the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word was God, and the Word is God. And this is speaking of Jesus. And so with 525, I think it's no accident that Jesus said, fill them up with water. And he filled them up to the brim. You know, in the Bible, it speaks of us as vessels. It talks about us being vessels. So as I read this, one of the things about this first miracle is that this wasn't done for everybody to see. If you notice, the, the, the master didn't know that this was done. He, they just thought that they kept the choice wine for now. The servants knew and the disciples knew because they were watching. But not everybody at the party knew that this had happened. You know, because remember, it would bring dishonor and shame to the family. They were trying to avoid this. So not all the guests knew that this, was, this happened. This wasn't a miracle like the other ones that we're going to see where many people saw. And so I think this miracle is significant because it speaks to the church. It speaks to us. It speaks to anybody who is um, willing to give themselves up for Christ, to hear what God, Christ has to say, and to um, respond to his, uh, his call. And so, again, in Ephesians 5.25, it says they're cleansed by the washing of the word, of, the, of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. So how do we become holy and blame, blameless? How do we become without any blemish, without any stain or any wrinkle? How does that happen? Washing of the word. Asking Jesus into heart. But none, none of these are, can be accomplished without the shedding of the blood. By the shedding of the blood is where we, where it's our remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so Jesus is our perfect uh, atoning sacrifice. 
right? And so the water signifies the word, right? The word of God. Now, we look, we're reading this right now. They didn't have the New Testament, right? They had uh, the Old Testament parts of that, right? Um, the Talmud, uh, if I'm saying that right, but uh, the Pentateuch. Uh, but, so they had the word, right? They had the word of God. Just because they didn't have the complete word yet doesn't mean they didn't have the word of God. So this filling of the word is not something that just can be done. It's just for us. This was a filling of the word could be at that time. And so the filling of the word is the cleansing, right? And back then to be cleansed, you had to, uh, and, uh, uh, you had to go through this um, ritual. But then for the remission of sins, the atonement of sins, you had to sacrifice, right? And you had to have the shedding of blood. So the water or the word that was filled to the brim was turned into wine. Now, the wine signifies the blood of Jesus. We all take communion, right? We've all taken communion. And we recognize that the wine is a reminder of the shedding of God's blood, of Jesus' blood. He's, Jesus showed this with his disciples, right? He said, take this cup. Um, and so to, to be cleansed, we need the shedding of the blood. And at that time, that happened by sacrificing, right, um, lambs. Um, and John, you know, we get to look back. But John, before, before what we read here, John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is Jesus. So we see the miracle. We see the symbolism. And we can, can understand and, we, and, 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 and things start to click. And, and I hope that, you know, it makes you hungry for the Word of God. Because there's so much in the Word of God that's no accident uh, that God did for us. So um, the other thing I wanted to mention uh, about this uh, miracle is that it happens at a wedding. Now, Jesus, he, he calls himself the bridegroom in different parts. And for time's sake, we're not going to go to those verses. But J Jesus is the bridegroom. And I know you guys you here know that. Um, but Jesus uh, refers to himself as a bridegroom. Others refer to him as a bridegroom. But in Revelation, it speaks of of. The, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, 6 through 9. Uh, it talks about the marriage of the Lamb. And it says, Blessed are those who are called. So let, let's, yeah, so thank you. Uh, so I want to read that. So, so Revelation 19, 6, 6 says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud, uh, uh, sorry, I can't see that far. <laughs> Peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. So there's going to be a wedding banquet that we're going to partake in, where Jesus is our bridegroom. And he has provided the, the, the wine. And this is a new wine. If you were here on Sunday, I, I was really blessed by Charlie's message. And just a reminder to me that I, that I am perfect in God's eyes. When, when, God, when the Father sees me, 
He sees me in Christ Jesus. And so I am not, we are not, we are not the least of the wine. We are the choice wine. We are the best wine. And, and, and all that shame and that dishonor that the devil tries to bring back up in your life, you got to fill that with the word of God. Fill that with the word of God. And, and, and when you fill it with the word of God, God is so good that he'll bring remembrance. He'll bring remembrance. You know, Charlie gave us a booklet that day um, that was f- uh, filled with scriptures. And, um, and you could see it even when he preached. And I know he's been doing this for years, but scriptures just flowed out, flowed out of him. And that's not an accident. That's, that's um, time spent with the word, with reading the scriptures, you know, speaking them over him. And, and then like he said, it, it went from his mind into his heart. And, I, and uh, so I encourage you and, and myself, all of us, to get into the word, to read it daily, uh, to get that into our heart, and then that to remember that we are redeemed, that we are re- redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the perfect sacrifice, that, that when God sees us, he doesn't see the blemishes, he doesn't see wrinkles, he sees Jesus. And he is our bridegroom who's going to receive us as his radiant and glorious bride. Um, it also says in Revelation, when the new Jerusalem comes down, she comes down like a beautiful bride. Now, we are grafted into that, right, um, as Gentiles, you know, and that's another study. But we partake in that adoption as well. Um, so I, this first miracle, I, this is a mir- miracle of salvation. Isaiah 55 one says, come all who are thirsty and drink, right? There, after the wedding here, we're not going to read it, but it talks about Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and, and that, that's all about being born again, right? Uh, being born again of the Spirit, and, he, and the woman of the well. And, and what is she to do? She's, you know, she wants to, she's asked her to draw water, but Jesus says, if you drink of the water that I have to give you, you'll never thirst again. So joy, uh, wine also is a symbol of joy. And as we saw uh, in, in Revelation, there's a rejoicing that happens at the wedding feast, right? Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, Lord. And so in this, uh, this, this first miracle is for, for us to remember that being filled with the word of God and being forgiven, it's, it's, a, it's salvation. It's forgiveness and the remission of sins. And one, one, before we move on to the next sign, I want to point one other thing out. Um, because this is, I think, for us, but it's also for us to give out. You see, this miracle, God, God could have simply filled up the jars with wine, right? It didn't have to be water. It could have been wine. He could, have, he could have basically, you know, filled up wherever else they were serving wine from. But he had somebody partake in this miracle. And who was that? The servants, right? The servants drew the water out, the word of God. They drew the word of God out, and they served it to the master. They served it to somebody else, and it became new wine. Um, what I, I see here is that as we're filled with the word of God, we are to draw out of ourselves the gospel, the gospel news to those around us. Um, 
And I think, and then if the Holy Spirit will do the miracle, right? The Holy Spirit will do the work in the person, in people's hearts. And, and that remission of sin, hopefully, would lead them to the, the blood of the lamb, right? That wine that they could partake of. So I, I believe there's something there too as well. And so that's the first miracle. The first miracle was done um, not for the masses, not so that, that show, to show everybody, but his disciples saw it, the servants saw it. And so then Jesus goes on and um, he continues his ministry in Cana because that's where this first miracle took place, in Cana in Galilee. And we're going to go ahead and go to the second sign now uh, uh, that we'll be talking about. So this is, uh, we're, we're, that was John 2. We're going to go ahead and flip to John 4. 4.46, I believe. Or 4.45, I think, is what we're starting. Somewhere there. 4.43. So after two days, um, so Jesus is you know, doing some other stuff. Um, like I said, uh, woman at the well, um, Nicodemus. But after two days, uh, Jesus left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee... The Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. So now this is Galilee, again, where Cana is. So once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum, which is about 16 to 20 miles. Okay, so he's in Cana now with this royal official and this royal official has a son who's sick, who's afflicted, near death, and who's about 16, 20 miles away. And remember, there's no cars there, right? This is a journey for him. Um, so when this man, this royal official, heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. So I'm flipping back myself to John uh, 23. John 2, 23. So this is earlier on, right, when the miracle had happened before with the wedding. And it says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. So, you know, as we spoke before, John didn't record all of the signs. That's not his purpose here. His purpose is so that people would believe. So after the wedding, that kind of basically sparked everything. That was a catalyst. Right, for Jesus' ministry. Right? And I think, again, it's significant because it was um, a cleansing and a remission of sin miracle, as, as I read it. And so, but that, that sparked more miracles. So he went on in the same city and performed other signs and wonders. So that's how this royal official knew that Jesus could perform miracles, that he could do these things. Right? And so now he's a royal official. I don't know much about you know, royal officials back in this day. I mean, if it's like today and, and, and royals of, of, of today, they don't really mingle with us common people, right? So I, I see it as something that, you know, this guy had to be, you know, at the end of himself, right? I think he was losing hope. And, he's, and he looked out and, if he, and he remembered there was one before that was performing miracles that was healing and doing these things. And he went and he sought him out. So he sought Jesus, Jesus out. 
So, again, um, 47. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. And Jesus responded, Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, You will never believe. So we all like signs and wonders. I asked it earlier, and I do too. We like, we like the miraculous. But sometimes these miraculous signs and wonders, they're, they're nice when they happen, but sometimes we forget. Um, and I think it's a matter of the heart. See, this royal official wasn't seeking a, a sign just so he could be uh, entertained, right? And, and, I, and I imagine that some did. Some, were, some followed Jesus just so they could be entertained, just so they could see the magic show, right? You know, but this is no magic, right? This is, this is God responding to people's um, suffering, their heart, where they're at. You know, we think, you know, you think about the woman with the, the, with the blood. Um, these, these, you know, they weren't just looking to be entertained. They weren't, they, they had a need. They were suffering. They were hurting. This man's son was about to die. And so Jesus responds, and, and Jesus, you know, a lot of times you, if you really read the Bible and you see how Jesus responds, sometimes you're like, why do you respond like that, Jesus? But then you look and see what he does. And he always responds with compassion. But his words are, are meant to challenge us. And he says, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. I think that's important because there is going to come a time when there are going to be those that perform miraculous signs and wonders, real miraculous signs and wonders. This is in the end times. This is a false prophet, the Antichrist. And I really think at that time, I don't know for sure, my opinion, is that they're doing it for a spectacle. You know, obviously, you know, to draw people away from the true God, but it's going to be more for a spectacle. That's not what Jesus is doing here. And, um, so the royal official said, and he, he you know, he... He, he heard what Jesus says, but that's not why he's there. In his heart, he knows that's not why he's there. Now, whether he, knew, he felt Jesus knew that or not, he, that it, it doesn't say. But I would think that he's in so much desperation that it's like, okay, that, I'm not even going to, you know, that's, that's not why I'm here. And he says, sir, come down before my child dies. So he's asking Jesus to take the journey with him. You know, come back. And this is about the seventh hour, which um, um, by, um, I, I've learned. I learned was like around 7 p.m. So they're not going to journey at night. So they would, this would be a next day journey. So he's asking Jesus to journey with him, to save his son, to heal him. So he had to have faith. He had to have some faith. Or he had to believe that Jesus could do this based off of the, the, the witnessing that he did before. So Jesus replied, and he says, no, 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 you, you go. I, you know, you go. Your son will live. So, I mean, you go. I'm not going. That's kind of what I heard. And, and as a father, my heart sinks. If I read that slowly, my heart sinks. But then he says, your son will live. And so then he, so then he gives hope. And, you know, God's ways are not our ways. We're thinking, we got to get him to come, come with us. He's got to come back with me. You know, I've already got, you know, rations for him. Um, but God's ways are not, not our ways. He, he's higher. His thoughts are higher than us. And so Jesus tells him, your son will live. And so the man, to, to, to his credit, took Jesus at his word. 
and he departed. So he left, and he believed that what Jesus said. He believed it. He took him at his word. And so while the royal official was still on his way, he saw his servants, right? His servants met with him. Now, I'm going to stop right there because I, I don't know exactly when this happened, but they, you know, I don't know if it actually says that. But um, he has to ask him, when did, it, when did the healing take place, right? So it's a journey. Remember, 16 miles away. It's not, you know, if the son gets healed, they're not there within, you know, uh, an hour. So I have to, I, I, you know, me, just in the natural, and me putting myself in, in this position, I can take Jesus at his word if he tells me something. If I read something in the Bible, or if I'm in prayer and, 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 and God talks to me and tells me something. But as time goes by, I start to doubt. And I'm, and, and you know, and if, I mean, especially if it's weeks, months, years, right? The word that you've received years ago, um, it's still from God. God doesn't change. That word is still from um, um, the one that does not change. But so what has actually happened? You know, we have forgotten. What, what is it that causes us to doubt? So I, I don't know. It doesn't tell us here, but... I kind of assumed that maybe he started to doubt. And he sees his servants coming to meet him. And, and what is he thinking as his servants are coming to meet him? Are they going to tell me a good report or a bad report? You know, they, they, they came out, you know, and they're, they're coming to tell me. You know, and I'm sure maybe when he left, this is his son, I'm sure he told him, hey, if anything happens, you come and tell me. Right? Come and tell me. I don't want to, I want to, I want to know. I don't want to just come back and, and, and learn this when I come back. So, so. Anyway, fortunately, it's good news. The servants met with him with the news that his boy was living. And when the royal official inquired about the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. So he believed again. So he believed once and now he believes again. It's, I don't think if we could actually look at the Greek word here or uh, whatever the, the Hebrew word, um, whatever it would be in this, in this text, I believe it would probably be a different word. I think he took Jesus at his word, but, but, when he, but this second time, he actually believed that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, yeah, okay, you're telling me this is going to happen, right? And I believe you. But now I believe you're the Son of God. Um, and it was not just him, but his whole household believed. So this was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. So this miracle took, took, took place over space, right? Jesus didn't have to be there to perform this. And so he shows his power um, um, over, over sickness, right? Uh, over infirmity, over disease, and not, and, and not even the fact that he had to be there, but that um, it transcends space. And so uh, we're, I, I want to close with this. Um, well, let me stay in line here. Um, the royal official took Jesus as his word, at his word. Do you, do we, do I, do we take Jesus at his word? And I know the first thought is, yeah, of course we do. Of course I do. But then why do we doubt so much? Right? Why, do we, why, why is there doubt? Why is there anxiety? Why is there fear? Right? 
Um, and I don't think that, you know, there's no throwing stones. I think it's just a, a thing that we need to remember to get back into the Word of God. That we need to wash ourselves again with the Word of God. Um, and by doing this, spending time with God and realizing that, you know, God has called us into something. You know, as Charlie spoke, Ephesians 2.10, that we are His workmanship in Christ Jesus for works that He preordained for us before the foundations of the earth. And so, the love that God has for us is, I mean, I, the second miraculous sign has to do with a father and his son. You know, Charlie spoke a little bit about this on Sunday, and again, I, I know I keep referring to it, but uh, go back and listen if, if, you don't, if you weren't here on Sunday. But, you know, he, re, he spoke about a father and a son, and for him, a grandfather and grandparents, right? But, you know, the feeling we get um, when they adore us. And so how much more the Father in heaven, his, uh, how, how, how much he feels when we adore him and, and, that, and, and we respond to him. And so I would say, I would challenge us with this, is that, that we spend time in the word of God, but that when we read the verses, that we get them into our heart. Right, that we keep speaking them over and over, and that we don't forget that um, we are part of the new covenant, the new wine, right? That we are saved by grace, and that it is in Jesus, our perfect sacrifice, that we are made holy and blameless. And so, you know, I was just blessed to um, be able to spend time in the Word and to read this, and I hope this Word blessed you. Um, we're going to go ahead and get into our small groups and talk about it some more. Uh, Russell will come up and, and start us there. But uh, uh, before then, can I pray? Okay. So, Father, I just thank you uh, for your word, uh, for, for, foremost, Lord. I thank you that um, this, this, this Bible that we, that we read, it's your love story to us, Lord. It's your heart for your people, it is um, a way that we can use for ourselves and for others, Lord, to uh, bring a, uh, a roadmap to, um, to show other people that, that you are a God that is near and dear, that you are not far off, and that um, when we as people could not make our own way, that you found the way, that you did it yourself, that there is a, um, a, a forgiveness and a remission of sin that we don't work for. It's a free gift. There's a verse that, uh, in the Old Testament that says, you know, go and buy, go, go ahead, go and buy the wine, go and buy the food, with, although you don't have any money. And, and, and we can do that because it's a free gift. We don't have to earn it. It is um, by your grace that we can receive it. So, Lord, I just thank you for, um, for the work that you've done and, and that as we go through this, these series on signs and wonders, that we, our faith would be even more cemented, Lord. That it would be cemented, Father God, in your word and in who you are, the Son of God. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, let's give him a um, hand clap. Thank you. So, yeah, really appreciate that. Um, yeah, no, really, really insightful. Um, I'm really glad that you were able to do the message today. And, uh, yeah, so I'm just, I'm excited. This is uh, just the first week. And, and if, if that wasn't enough for you, turning water to wine and, um, and healing a son, not even physically being there, 
Uh, that's only the first two signs of the seven. So I'm going to encourage you to read the Gospel of John. And I'm not going to tell you exactly where they are, but I'll say it's in between chapters 2 and then I think it's 11, right? Uh, maybe it's 12. So, um, but anyway, read the whole thing, right? I mean, why not? It's, it's the Gospel of John. But uh, we have much more uh, signs to talk about. But at this time, we're going to go ahead and break into small groups. And, uh, but before we do that, I want to read the questions to you. So uh, go ahead and put those on the screen. So as a, as a way for us to connect and to read, and we'll, we'll keep those up there as well, but uh, the first thing is just, you know, our own testimonies are powerful. Um, and so the first one says, share an example of a miracle that you have experienced yourself. Just uh, a way that God has moved in your life that you can only explain uh, through a miracle. And then uh, the second one, this one says, what is one scripture that you believe through and through? And this is kind of inspired by that uh, father. Once Jesus said, go, your son will be healed. He just believed, right? He didn't waver. He just said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust God at his word. So I just, I just know that there's scripture like that that we have in our hearts that we, just once we've heard God speak, we know that. And then um, the third thing is how do we see Jesus differently after considering these signs? And so my hope is we're going to see Jesus even more clearly about what's possible, how powerful he is. Right? He can turn water into wine. He can heal somebody from a distance. But at the same time, it seems like he has a, a reason for why he's doing these signs. Right? He's not just willy-nilly, randomly doing things. He's doing things on a purpose. So how do we see Jesus differently after considering these two signs? So uh, at this time, we'll go ahead and break into our small groups. And uh, for those online, if we haven't closed out, we'll, we'll see you next time. Um, and hopefully, we'll see you in person. So uh, let's go ahead and get into our groups. Thank you.